morning. My name is David and I worship here at St. Nick's and have done for some time. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to hear the words that you speak. And having heard them, to obey them, let them shape our lives. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our title, the Shema, take us straight into the language of Hebrew. And we come to a strange bit of Hebrew, the Shema. The Shema means hear. Shema Yisrael will mean hear, O Israel. Or listen, Israel. Or pay attention. This is really important. When you come to the Shema, uh, originally, there are only four words. Here they are. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. There's no verbs there because you can leave verbs out, or verb to be anyway. Just the four words. Before I go on, actually, you might have noticed in our Bible something about the word the Lord. The Lord in English translations is nearly always written in block capitals. And it's written in block capitals that you can say, oh, this is the special word about God, the special name of God. The English Bible tries to put it in, in capital letters whenever you see it because it's preserving the idea that this is God's own name, the way that my name is David. So when you see it in block capitals, the English versions are telling you this is God's name. No Jew would ever say that name aloud. It is holy. It is his holy name. Let's go on. So what we have here is a kind of creed. Listen, Israel. Listen. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the Shema. Listen. The words for heart and soul and strength have lots of different meanings and could mean many other things and be translated in different ways. So a possible translation might go this way. The Lord, our God, the Lord is the one and only. And that's the one I think is the best translation. So you should love the Lord your God with all your thinking, all your longing, all your striving. As one scholar puts it, I think very well, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Now I think that's a good translation of the Shema. How were the Jews to do this? It's the first prayer that a Jewish child is taught. It's the last word that a Jew says prior to death. And down the centuries, unfortunately, hundreds of Jews about to be killed because of their faith have died with the Shema on their lips. Here in Deuteronomy, Moses, speaking for God, tells Israel, 
how to handle the Shema, how you're going to take these four words and do something with them so that they do actually take you nearer to God, so they recognize that God loves you. How are you going to do that? And uh, Moses, Moses, God, gives six examples. You've heard them read. Here are six of the ways in which by doing something, you can take yourself nearer to God and to understand a bit more about the God who loves us. And this list you can find as it was read in verses 7, 8, and 9. There could be 60 ways, not just six, of doing this. Even more, because the Shema understood becoming a part of you. It is the secret of life. Let's go through those six to get the idea. Number one, Impress the words on your children. This is the most important thing you can teach your children. How would you put that into practice? There's a question that comes from years back and asks us. This is the first thing you do with the Shema, teach your children. How are you going to do that in a good way, a way that works? Number two, talk about the words of the Shema, when you sit at home. That's the second helpful comment. What do you chat about at home? What do you chat about when you're having tea at the end of the day? Football? Holidays? Yep. Shopping? Pocket money? Yep. The latest fashion? What's on television tonight? What's on at the cinema? What happened at school today? Politics? No, I don't think so. The cheapest iPhone you can get? All kinds of things. And Moses says, in your conversation around the table, make sure you include the Shema. Number three, love the Lord your God when you walk upon the road. In other words, don't be embarrassed about God. Don't be embarrassed to make God public. Make your faith public. Be prepared to talk about God at work, in the pub, over coffee. Number four, when you lie down and when you get up, do you have trouble getting to sleep? Do you have trouble getting awake and going for the day that lies before you? With a whoopee, it's a new day. Yeah, no one got it. Start every day, he says, and finish every day with the Shema. Number five, tie them, the words of the Shema, tie them to your hands and tie them to your head as symbols that mean never forget the Lord and your commitment to the Lord and his commitment to you. And in number six, I said there were six examples. Here's number six. Write these words on the door frames and on your gates. In other words, never be ashamed of your faith in the Lord. Do it in the house and in the garden, wherever. In other words, six life situations which ensure that you are giving the right place for God, his proper position in your life 
and in his world. This is very practical. I say there's six of them. There could have been 60. Honoring God in the Shema involves something. Uh, Talking. Sometimes it involves tying words to your hands and forehead. Sometimes it involves writing words on the door inside at home and sometimes on the garden gate. I love this little comment from an American Jew. Here it goes. My wife suggested that we begin singing the Shema to our son, new baby coming to the house. So we're going to sing the Shema of our son each night as we lay him down to sleep. It was a little uncomfortable at first. We are secular Jews and we weren't in the habit of praying so openly, but we had a go at it and we got used to it. Now our son has just turned three and he belts out at bedtime the Shema. You can just imagine it. With such gusto as if he's known the prayer all his life, which actually he has, isn't he? He's three. It's a wonderful way. Here's two secular Jews and they're saying the Shema over the child and at three, boy, the child has got it right. Honoring God in the Shema will touch every part of your life is the message that we're getting and the child is getting. So, why don't Christians do it? The straight answer, I think, is because of Jesus. Those who followed Jesus found that he, he was God in human form. He was God incarnate. And at Pentecost, a little later, they discovered that God had filled them with his spirit. And they didn't want to limit God. So when they described their experience of God, well, first thing they said is, there is only one God. God is one God. But you will encounter him in different ways. We as Christians, you can imagine them saying, the 12 and the 24 and 100 and so on, we've experienced him as God the Father and God the Son. Oh, and God the Spirit. Here is a, a creed which is like a sort of Christian Shema. This is what the church did with the Shema. Here it is. You may recognize it. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen. That is a Christian Shema. We've got another one. We call it the grace, don't we? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. This is what the Christians did with the Shema. They've done something beautiful with it and we have grown up into it. Now the fact that the Christian church didn't take up the Shema doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from the passage in Deuteronomy. We can learn a lot. If Moses can say, hear, O Israel then Moses can say, here, O St. Nick's. The Lord your God is the one and only. There aren't any others. Your whole life is to be focused 
on him. Other choices in life are not sensible. He is the one and only. That's one thing we can learn from the Jewish to Take it up into ours. And the next few words are also for us. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got. That's a great thing to take with you into life. Try, help me, God, to love you with everything I've got. It's very easy to get this wrong so that it comes out something like this. Let's imagine somebody has been listening to what I've been saying or listening to what Moses has been saying and says to us, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get what you've been saying. I have to lose everything that's valuable. That's what you've been saying. Everything that's personal. Everything that makes me, me. I've got to lose my personality. I understand very well what you're saying. I become a puppet on a string. And pulling the strings is an all-powerful cosmic giant. That's what you meant, isn't it? To which our answer is, no. (laughs) That is exactly what we didn't mean. And that's why God puts in a couple of warnings that we had read. I won't go into those, but warning number one is take care. When you get into the land, don't think you got yourself there and it's your power that's doing everything. God is the one who gives you all the stuff that you get in the land, which is beautiful and wonderful. There's an also a take care number two, which says don't have other things as God. This week I watched a program called Sunderland Till I Die. It's a great program, really enjoyed it. And it's about Sunderland supporters. Bless them, bless them all. (laughs) What are you laughing for? They need it. (laughs) And it's fascinating just to watch it because there was one man that we followed through. There were several that were doing this. And they only had one thing to concentrate in the whole of their life. It was also dismissal. This is what I do as a job. Uh, Yeah, and I got a wife. Yeah, that's sure, sure. But the really important thing is Sunderland. Sunderland till I die. Interesting, because at the very end, having watched Sunderland play quite a lot and win matches this time, suddenly he dies. And the last shots are his funeral and I could weep that was it I thought how sad what in the end your life is about is a football team now I support a football team you may have heard it's not Sunderland but the thought that that would be my life is appalling You mustn't worship football teams. You mustn't worship football teams, God says. Let's come at it from another direction. Imagine you're talking to a groom or a bride on their wedding day. And you say something like this. After the wedding's taken place at the reception. Well, that was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? This is what you're saying. You've more or less, as I understand it, given away everything you possess to this man or to this woman. Richer or poorer, better or worse, 
I've got the idea what's going to be out of those, though. It will be poorer and worse. And I heard you say, till death do us part? What on earth possessed you, you idiots? And the bride or the groom that you're talking to, and have said these choice words, says, looking at you um, pityingly, says, you haven't got a clue what it's about, have you? And you don't have any idea of what it means to love somebody. And the way you talk, you don't have any idea to be loved by somebody. Now that's much more like what's going on when we talk about God and he looks at us two-way. Being loved by God and loving God is a bit like getting married, only multiplied by nine or 10,000 times. You are not being pushed around by a bad-tempered old curmudgeon with a long white beard. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever put their trust in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the God that we are, if you like, marrying. To know God and to know that you are loved by him. You may not be very good at it, but you are also trying to love him and love the people for whom Christ died. And this, to love him and be loved, is the road to joy. Next, in the next few weeks, it's coming again and again, isn't it? Happiness, yeah, good, but not the real thing. Joy is different. I've already mentioned that the Shema involves, for Jews, talking about God, writing about God, using objects which point to God, and Christians have their equivalent. This is not just a joke or something you do. You fill it with meaning. This is one way, one of many ways of responding to the God who loves us. This can be misunderstood. An experience, I can't get this experience out of my mind, but I was in a shop going to buy something, something nice for my wife, and the guy just along there, and, the, and the, there was a woman there, and she was looking at um, necklaces. And the salesman was saying, we have this kind of necklace, madam, and you have this kind of necklace, or a smaller one like this, madam, and so on. I was just listening, waiting to be served. And then he said, you can have this one, or this one, or this one. Perhaps you would prefer one with a little man on it. I thought, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. So monumentally, the man does not understand <laughs> what this necklace is about. But fortunately, not everyone makes that mistake. And there are many serious ways in which Christians point towards their Lord and their commitment to them. So I just remind you really, is there a short creed just like Shema? Yeah, uh, Jesus is Lord is probably the shortest that I can think of, right? The first creed almost, Jesus is Lord. 
We sometimes in churches use the Kyrie eleison, which is Greek, but means Lord have mercy, Christe eleison, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and so on. There's also the Lord's Prayer, which is a bit longer, but that's also like the Shema. And don't forget the Jesus Prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have discovered, because the book told me I would discover, that as you walk, you can say those things. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I've tried it, and it works. But of course it works because we mean it. We're not just saying words. There are objects. I brought one, I've got a small one, my wife has a much bigger one, I've brought hers. And it's a cross. It's a handing cross, handing cross, isn't it? I've seen people in hospitals got this and just holding on to it. And you feel going to sleep, still holding on to it. Now that will only mean something, but boy, it means a lot if you fill it with the meaning of holding on to the cross. It's a great thing when you're feeling lousy to have one of these. Don't forget the fish window. I wonder how many people do. It's not in the very best place for us to see. But the shift, my wife told me that uh, somebody that she talked with came in here with her husband when it was first opened and they stood just about where you are looking at the fish window. There were no chairs in front of it like that. And he said, they've even put a fish in this window. He was very aggressive and didn't want to come into the church as well. They put a fish in the window. And she said, because she was well educated, this teacher said to her husband, if you had any idea at all and any mind and, and, all, and all that stuff, as wives say to children, to uh, wife, husbands, uh, fish, if you put it into Greek, uh, the Greek words... Ichthus, uh, take the letters I, I'm doing this in English now, CH, TH, Y, S. You can make the words Jesus Christ, God's Son, Saviour. And when we look at that, we shouldn't be saying, oh, it's a fish. We should be saying, Jesus Christ, God's Son. Saviour. I'll just say that because I've got a feeling we all walk past it now. So let's just have a little look at it. There are many Bible texts hung up on the walls like paintings, stained glass windows. I think there's one of uh, Isaiah as you come through the door. Look at the first uh, stained glass window that you get to and it will be, I think, Isaiah saying his prayers in the temple. A cross in ashes on your forehead. Some of us, when that happened to us, it was a remarkably good black cross. It was quite big. I found myself going to buy a card for somebody's birthday and wondering what will they think when I walk in. It's only about ten past nine or whatever, and I've got this great big black cross. I was served, I was served very well, I got the card, she helped me pick a card, she didn't say a word, <laughs> not a word, and I was waiting for her to say, what's that cross on your phone, she didn't, but I do have a friend in the church who did the same later, and got into quite a long conversation about why you're walking around as if you haven't washed today. These are important ways in which we say, our, this is our, these are our shemars. 
Uh, there used to be things on the cars. I don't see so many things on the card now, the back of the car. Perhaps we've stopped doing it on our cars, which point us towards God. But uh, tattoos, in their thousand. And I found this. Adam Peaty, you no doubt have heard, he's the world-class swimmer, English, with three Olympic gold medals in his pocket, and he still had trouble with alcohol and mental health. And the chaplain to elite sports led him to Jesus. And the Daily Mail did a piece on him. And the Daily Mail revealed, I'm quoting now, his newfound faith and going to church has helped him overcome the problems. It is best summed up, it is best summed up by the phrases he's having tattooed on his hands. Okay? Fuel your soul. Enjoy the ride. This is his way, just one way, of witnessing to the power of God. And there they are on his hands. We don't have to do that. There are other ways, I think, of doing it. Now, let's not stop there. Though I am pleased for him and I'm pleased he's become a Christian. Turn away from false gods and commit yourself to the one true God, says the Bible. This is the way through and beyond happiness into joy. The heart of everything in the universe is a God who loves us and gave himself for us. God that calls us to follow him and know freedom and forgiveness and purpose and joy. The Lord, our God, the Lord who is the one and only, the Lord we should love with everything we've got. Amen. Amen.